<laughs> yep, that's my mom. And I'm Rebecca. And this is a very special Mother's Day episode of Advice from Mom. I mean, I had to do something special for my mom this Mother's Day. For the past six months, I have asked her to scale up her mothering efforts immensely. I've basically said, hey mom, thanks for all the advice you've given me in my lifetime. Mind if I tell everyone else you'll do the same for them? This lovely woman with the heart of a golden pickleball (laughs) over the top metaphors basically said, sure. Or as my mother says, Rebecca, you are very hard to say no to. So, but sometimes I do have to put boundaries on her. Hopefully not for this episode. Yep, I had to do something very special for this Mother's Day. There is only one flight from San Francisco to where my mom lives. And unfortunately, it's a red eye, but you know I was on it. It's a great day for playoff hockey. We hope you enjoy your stay in Pittsburgh. Let's go, Pittsburgh. Welcome to Pittsburgh. For this episode, we're trying something new. Don't worry, you'll still hear three questions sent in by listeners like you. And each question will still be slathered in three doses of advice. And we'll be playing plenty of mother-daughter pickleball. In honor of my mama's favorite sport. (laughs) Normally, I make this show long distance with my mom. I'm in San Francisco, and my mom's in Pennsylvania. But this time, I literally had to go to the mothership. It's the first time I've ever been called a mothership. You can put that in the back seat, hon. Okay, perfect. How are you doing, Mama? Oh, so good to see you. In the flesh, here she is. Oh, no, Rebecca? In the back seat. Sorry. That's okay. That's okay. Wow, this is a spacious back seat. Oh, I'm so glad. Yeah, we're on the seat. That's better, and it won't fall off. I see spinning around in here. I don't know why. I'm pleased to announce that for the recording of this episode, my mom and I are within hugging distance. Right. And you know what else? You're going to meet some of my mom's wise friends, who are also moms. And don't worry, also skilled professionals. You're going to hear from a professor and ballroom dancer, a minister who loves to knit, a chiropractor who loves to kickbox. They're all friends of mine. They're all mothers. And I'm so excited for you to meet them. That's right. We're going into mom overload for this episode. But before we dive into Pittsburgh's Mamarama, I'd like to note that this podcast is for informational purposes only. And it is not intended for diagnosis or treatment of any medical or psychological condition. All treatment decisions should be made in partnership with your health professional. I'd also like to note that Mother's Day is frickin' loaded. Even though I might have danced through Pittsburgh International Airport at 6 a.m., I do not tread lightly on the subject of Mother's Day. Our feelings with our mothers are complex. This day brings up a lot of difficult feelings for some of us, and a lot of them you're gonna hear about today. There is one person I know who has talked about this complexity and is actively making an effort to take control of it. I'd like to introduce you to Beth Dean. She's a product designer at Facebook, working at the intersection of advertising and ethics. Growing up, Mother's Day wasn't like a huge deal to me. I think it was kind of like any other Hallmark holiday. 
you know, take my mom out to dinner, buy her some flowers, have like a nice time. But we always kind of had a complicated relationship. So how we would celebrate sort of depended on how we were doing at that time. Um, it wasn't something I really ever thought very much about uh, until she died because I was working at a greeting card company at the time. And I wake up and I have like probably a hundred emails about Mother's Day. And I didn't really expect it to hit me, but it did. And, you know, it's one of those open office floor plans. So there isn't even any place to like go hide and cry. And I realized like, this is what Mother's Day is going to be like for me every year from now on. Like I assumed I'd feel a little better, but I knew I was going to get you know, bombarded with marketing messages and people trying to sell me stuff. And they know full and well that like not everybody has a mom, but on the off chance they can like make a buck off the people that do, um, you know, they don't care. So how can design save the day here? I think my role as a designer is to advocate for the people that everyone else forgets about. So that's a space I've really tried to focus on and see where I can solve those problems. Um, and it just so happened that I worked in advertising at Facebook. So for me, it was about making sure our ads are ethical um, and that we're not serving them in a way that harms people. So when you talk about ads harming people, it would be like one person seeing an ad for a margarita in their feed and thinking, happy hour can't come soon enough. And then someone else sees that same ad and because they're, say, a recovering alcoholic, they could be emotionally triggered by it. So how would you work with that scenario? So I think as designers, we kind of have to challenge ourselves to think about what are all of the things that people go through as they have to get things done and how might this cause them to feel bad or feel harmed. And so the feature you're working on allows people to control that experience. It basically allows people to say to Facebook, I don't want to see these kind of ads. They're ruining my day. I love how considerate that is. There's value in doing something because it's the right thing to do. And also just because you're building something um, that has to make money doesn't mean that you can't consider people's feelings. Um, so if I can do this in ads, there's really no reason that a designer working on any other type of um, consumer product can't think about what that person is going through. Do you wish you had this feature 10 years ago? That would have really helped my emotional well-being because those first few years were really rough and just not only being able to turn off the ads, but just knowing that somebody thought about my situation and cared, um, that would have meant a lot to me. Yeah, I can't even imagine. From your point of view, do you have any advice for someone who wants to be more sensitive to people who have a hard time with Mother's Day? Yeah, I think just talk to some people who have lost their parents. You know, everybody's situation is really different. Like, I lost my mom really suddenly. Some people lose their parents after a long illness. Um, everyone copes with grief really differently. So, like I said, I didn't want to see Mother's Day ads right away. But for some people, that might have been comforting to, like, remember their parent. So I think it's important to experience that, like, or to understand that one person's experience can't speak for everyone um, and that you need to just get a really well-rounded perspective, um, similar to how, like, I can't possibly know every situation someone's going through when I try to design and I have to do research, like just having one person's um, experience with that subject like also isn't going to give me an informed answer on how I should design. Thank you, Beth. I think it takes great courage and great leadership to do what you have done. And I so appreciate it. Often telling our story can be part of the healing, and I hope it has been for you. Here's our first question. 
I'm lucky enough to benefit from all that personal development, self-help, and mental health resources that have been offered in this modern day. I've read books, been to therapy, taken yoga and meditation, all of which have helped me through anxiety and depression that started to plague me when I entered my college years. I still struggle with these inner demons, but I feel so lucky to have access to this kind of help, and I feel able to cope better than ever before. I find that interacting with people who don't have access to the same similar resources or have done the same level of personal work to be hard, especially when one of those people is my mom. I see my mom struggling so much with issues of anxiety, depression, and low self-esteem, and I watch her endure painful roller coasters of emotion. I really want to help her and be there for her. What she wants from me is an ear. What I really want to teach her is the strategies I've learned and frankly tell her to finally go to therapy. It would help her so much, but due to the generational divide, stigma, denial, etc., I just can't crack that nut. How do I approach this subject without offending or hurting her? How do I finally get my mom to read some of the books I have? To go to therapy? To approach mental health in the same way? Or do I just accept her for who she is and listen patiently? Thanks for your help as I navigate this touchy subject. Signed, somewhat enlightened, but still occasionally depressed. And now, here's some advice from my mom. Hello, enlightened daughter, and thanks so much for your good question. You are correct. It's a very touchy subject, and it's also difficult to change someone's mind. Sometimes that effort to change a loved one's mind can actually backfire and make that person dig their heels in. Why should your mom go to therapy? She has you. Therapy is not a tool that's used by your mother's generation, probably, because of the stigma. Of course, there's still a lot of thinking that you have to be crazy to go to a therapist. You'd be amazed at how many of my new clients at the end of the first session say to me, well, doc, am I crazy? And they're serious. They want to know from me, are they okay or not? At the very end of your question, you ask, should I accept her for who she is? Yes, you should. Absolutely. If you do anything else, she will interpret it as, my daughter thinks I'm broken. My daughter thinks I'm defective. I understand because I was also my mom's confidant when I lived at home. In my case, I had to move across the country in order to take on a different role vis-a-vis -vis my mother. So if you want, you can join my BMT club, Bite My Tongue Club. Believe me, I have many opportunities to use that skill. I'm still trying to rescue people, even when I don't even realize it. I'm hoping you can accept that notion that you can't change mom, but you can change yourself. So say positive things to mom. Tell her, I'm worried about you, mom. You can tell her that every week if you wish. If you get on with your own life and face the things that you fear, or as Rebecca and I always say, do what scares you. 
If you do that, I think it will benefit both of you and you'll both be able to grow and change in the right ways for you. So I'm curious about what my co-responders are thinking. You mean your friend, Mom? I mean my good friend. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Thanks for correcting me, Rebecca, already. We're <laughs> would right you there. Like, would you like to introduce your good friend? Okay. And now I'd like to introduce Diana Plouffe, my favorite friend, one of my favorite. Oh, I think you just got downgraded. That's okay. Just got many favorite <laughs> First friends. First, you were favorite sure. friend to do jigsaw puzzles with, and one of favorite friends. Diana Plouffe, my good friend for many years, and my favorite friend with whom to do jigsaw puzzles with. How about if I sort of introduce myself and give a little bit of a very brief background because I'm sort of an odd bird. I don't really fit in clear categories. Most people assume I'm a psychologist, and I think in some ways that's appropriate because I do practice organizational psychology, and I spend a lot of time working with people around problem-solving, joint communication, understanding each other. I'm also the mother of a 26-year-old son um, and the daughter of a mother, so I can connect to this from both points of view. Well, Elizabeth, it's so interesting that you make the point that you can't change other people's minds. And dear enlightened daughter, I would agree with her. I want you to think about that because I think it's a very unfortunate or perhaps fortunate reality that you can't change other people. You can want to. You can think you know what's best. You can think you have the solution to improve another's life. You can know how to fix things, but you cannot make this happen. There's an old joke in the therapy world that goes something like this. How many therapists does it take to change a light bulb? And the answer is none. The light bulb has to want to change. <laughs> and that's sort of a summary of this point. Your mother has to own this as her problem. The problem that you are bringing to the table is your problem and how to talk with your mother. Your problem is not her anxiety and her depression. That's her problem if she owns it and wants to work on it. So the advice that you're asking is appropriate in how do I talk about this? But it's not appropriate if you're thinking, how can I fix my mom? Woo! Good stuff. However, having said that, I think there are some things that are useful in discussions like this that you want to have with your mom. First of all, listening, truly listening, can help open people up. Truly listening is not easy. We tend to listen from the perspective of our own story. And you have a story. You have a great story of success on your own. It's hard to hear the words of the other while in your head you have additional dialogues going on like, I've heard this before. She's saying this again. If only she would. I know this would help her. All of those cloud one's ability to listen. And it's really natural. I mean, we all do it because we care. So I suspect that that's part of what's going on in your head when you are listening to her. And advice from that point of view, if you offer things that, that are things like, why don't you try or you should, in the middle of the conversation when you when you're, should be practicing that real listening, no matter how well-intentioned, 
it gets received as a judgment. The, your mom will think you're saying you're not good enough, you're not doing this thing you should be doing. And that sort of feeling, even though I'm sure you do not intend it, would invite resistance and defensiveness. It just does. It's how our human sort of emotional psyche works. So the posture of listening really should be out of curiosity. Who is this person? What are they thinking? How does your mom understand her situations? How does she feel when this happens? What has she tried? And, and you may discover that she doesn't define her problem at all about anxiety or depression. It may be that she's lonely. And talking with you is a way for her to feel connected. You don't know unless you truly listen. I think it's time for... Mother, daughter, Pickleball with three. Pickleball with three. Um, um, you you go for it, Mom. You're, you're chomping at the bit. Say your say. <laughs> Thank you. I guess the point that you made, which I think is so universal, so important in almost every setting, almost every relationship, is that if you're in your own head and not really listening to what's what I call the story behind the story, like you said, mom might be lonely. Unless you're going for that story behind the story, it's risky. In our references uh, for this uh, episode, we will uh, be giving some references to active listening and a couple of other items. So it's it's formally called active listening. And if you'd like to learn that skill, it's uh, it's a wonderful skill to have. Uh, yes, I... I agree, Elizabeth. It helps me in every point in my life. The other thing, and it might be helpful um, for for this enlightened daughter, is experimenting with humor. You know, it just occurs to me right now that sometimes that can get out of that stuck, heavy place and make things light enough to be a little bit playful, and that might invite some sort of more open-mindedness as well. Wonderful point. Wonderful point. Yeah, humor seems to cut through every kind of tension. Right. As long as it's sincere and not sarcastic, right? right? It right. can't come right. from that point of frustration um, that implies a should. And I do know there's a wonderful person who I care very much about who talks about how you should not be should upon. <laughs> And that's Elizabeth. That was on my list of notes to make sure that my mom said. <laughs> Don't shit on yourself. There's also a lot of shitters in this world. There's a lot of people oh. who tell you exactly what you should do. Uh -huh. And this is how you should be mentally healthy. Uh -huh. And I hope that through this podcast we show lots of different views of, of what you can be and not necessarily tell you what you should be. Nobody wants to stay in should land. And it's stinky there. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to get some practical tips out of both of you. What can Enlightened Daughter do next time she sees her mom? What can she say that might be different than what she's saying now? When she's talking with her mother, help her mother expand that experience. Get all of the emotional sense out of it. What was it like? How did it feel? Tell me more. Wow, that I would be really upset by that too. All of these affirmative curious, explorative statements. We're initially emotional beings and then we're rational beings. After you get past that state, the field is clear and then you can talk more about now what? What do you think would be helpful to you? 
keeping the ownership of the description and the strategies in the hands of her mother. One of the things that you can do, enlightened daughter, I believe, is to take mom out of the house, take her to lunch, take her to see a movie, or if she's up for a walk, take her out of the house to a walk. But if you change the setting, you may very well give both of you an opportunity to to not use all those reflex answers and not to get stuck in the same old pattern, the same old pattern, the same old, you say one thing, she says the opposite thing. You almost can read each other's minds. You want to get into another setting where you can um, explore each other's worlds in a different way. My husband and I are very, very different kinds of people. And one of the best things we've ever done is for me to offer to be his um, photography assistant. He loved to take photos of animals and birds. And a couple of times I went out with him and um, just, you know, carried his camera or his equipment or just hung out with him while he watched the birds in the trees. So to find some activities that you can do together and that'll hopefully um, help you get some wiggle room in this relationship. If Enlightened Daughter wants to talk about the relationship, talk about this dynamic of, you know, you call, I listen, I'm worried about you, I feel like, you know, I can't help you, would be to set aside a time for that, potentially at a different place, in a time of non-high emotion. And sort of, you know, let her mother know, I care about you. I want to talk about this with you so that they can explore that how to together. Quarantine feeling time. <laughs> oh. I don't know. That sounds like a disease. To that me. does that, sound like a we disease. We don't want to quarantine it. No, but, no. But maybe aside from your normal life. And it's so hard to change when you're, you know, in a repetitive pattern with somebody you love and you're worried about them. Would you like to pickleball well, anything back to that statement? Just to, uh, one, I'm, all, I'm always ready to add something, so you run the That's risk good. of That's good. That's why we invited you, you darling. <laughs> <laughs> when you ask me questions. I do think it's very important not to be the therapist of someone you love. I think that that is full of hazards. And I do think it's really good to set boundaries around oneself, sort of clarity about what is it I can give and what is it I cannot give, what is it I choose to give, what is it I choose not to give, so that I stay healthy. Because I think when when yeah. each of us work on our own health, we're helping the other as well. Um, so this sort of, if, if this daughter, if enlightened daughter doesn't feel like this is healthy for her, I think it's perfectly fine to set limits and let her mom know, I can't do this anymore. This isn't good for me. And so it's not good for us. You know, I think that that's a perfectly fine thing to do. Here's our next question. I'm the mom of two spirited little ones in search of some motherly advice on introducing my two and four-year-old into a pint-sized Jewish preschool. As a family, we are social and outgoing. My husband and I are both mixed race and value multicultural diversity. We love participating in our children's events and like to continue that in this new school. Our fear is that our kids won't fit in in this new preschool. We will be one of the only non-Jewish families enrolled, 
Our fear was mostly quelled by visiting and experiencing the warm, nurturing, and engaging learning environment. We anticipate our kids will flourish, but our family has limited exposure to the Jewish community and faith, and we are a bit intimidated and anxious. So far, it seems that our non-denominational faith is the elephant in the room. Our biggest fear is that our children will receive different treatment because of our differences as a family. And as parents, we want to ensure that we reduce this risk and create a smooth transition. We are also super duper excited about this new community and to learn new things as a family. I am desperately seeking motherly pearls of wisdom to navigate my family's interfaith preschool transition. Signed, newbie to the Jewish scene. And now, here's some advice from my mom. Thanks so much, newbie to the Jewish scene. Thanks for your question. It has good information right within the question. That information comes probably from your inner voice, as we call it. I will quote from your question. Our fears were mostly quelled by visiting and experiencing the warm and nurturing learning environment. I'm saying, trust it. This place is definitely user-friendly, regardless of religious orientation. In a way, I think I understand your concerns about breaking into a new organization. I am converted to Judaism, and I remember how intimidated I was the first few times that I participated in Jewish activities in Jewish organizations. But everybody was so nice and so welcoming. I think people are people, and they will respond to what you give them. You say that your family is, quote, social and outgoing. And this will definitely be a huge help because your kids have learned from you how to be comfortable with people. Wonderful skill for kids to have. So you're asking, how will you know if this is the right place for your children or not? Your kids will tell you by their responses. They will chatter to you about their experiences. And by this chatter, you will know. A practical suggestion for you with the children is to test out the preschool by starting with very short, send the children in for short days. And of course, if it doesn't work out, you can always decide to take the children out of that preschool and find a different one. The best thing you can do is to go in with a good attitude. It's something that always seems to work for Rebecca. No matter what the situation is, no matter how difficult it might seem on the face of it, her good attitude seems to punch through all the other impediments or uh, barriers. I don't know how she does it, but she's a great example for me. Just squeezing the compliments. As my mother says, compliments will get you everywhere. <laughs> so, dear listeners, I would like to introduce to you Mary Lynn Grass, a warm and wonderful friend of mine. I'm really glad to be here today. I'm Mary Lynn Grass. I, am, I have the word reverend in front of my name because I am a minister in the Christian faith. I'm also a mom of two children who are now in their 40s, if you can believe that, 
and a couple of grandchildren. I relate to newbie to the Jewish scene because I'm a newbie to the Pittsburgh scene. And it's hard to make friends. It's hard to make connections when you move to a new place or a new school, whatever it is. But this is such an exciting time in your life, uh, newbie to the Jewish scene. It seems to me that when my children started in preschool, it was both a relief to me and also just a very exciting time of transition for our family. You know, there'll be a time when you'll be known as so-and-so's mother instead of by your name. You are balancing many concerns at this stage of all your journeys. The desire for warm nurture for your children, and I hear in your question a desire for meaningful social connections for you and your whole family. I'd say, along with Elizabeth, that you have already experienced a warm welcome, and that is a wonderful sign. I applaud your willingness to explore this possibility for them and for you. For so much of what we hear these days is about how fearful we are of people of different faiths, of people who are different than we are. And as you well know, it limits our choices and limits our lives and growth in spirit and meaning that is available to all of us. I encourage you, having heard Elizabeth's advice, to talk more with the teachers and the people that run this preschool and share some of your concerns and questions with them. I suspect that you're not the first non-Jewish parents they have talked with. Although you may be unique in many ways, I think the best thing to do is to find, think about what all your questions are and speak with people at the school about them, at least begin there. I can say that talking with those responsible for school policy, whatever the affiliation of the school, is a good thing to do at any stage in our journey. And it will diminish the size of that elephant in the room that you talked about. I know that asking questions of staff may lead you to even deeper questions. And I think you're going to hear what Elizabeth called a lot of chatter from your children. You're going to hear questions. And this school may celebrate holidays and different traditions that you're not familiar with. If you can, with an open mind and spirit, ask questions and learn more as a family about those traditions, I think that will help you and your children moving forward. It sounds like you may be searching for answers to some deeper questions about yourselves. And I remember when my children were small, their time in preschool was a time when I had a break to start to think about some of the questions that affected me. Um, and some of those questions led me to the professional ministry. I think they're important for anyone, though. Uh, questions, deep questions, deeper questions about who we are and what we believe and how we move in this world. So long term, I think you're in for a wonderful ride. Uh, you're going to continue to learn, and you're right now setting an example for your children moving forward. That could only be the sound of one thing. It's time for Mother Daughter Pickleball. And we'd like to include you in Pickleball today, if you're up oh, for it. 
Okay. Yeah. I'm honored. (laughs) So, Mary Lynn, you have a lot of experience in the interfaith community. Um, Do you want to talk a little bit about that and how that influenced how you answered this question? Absolutely. I... I'm so grateful for all the experience I've had working across not only denominations in the Christian church, but with other faith groups. They've been very, all of them have been enriching and exciting for me. I remember working in Rochester in the Interface AIDS ministry with people from six or seven different faith groups. And our meetings were so exciting because when we would get together, we would take turns praying and thinking about our task and learning from each other about even the different ways different faith communities have of praying. It was a very enriching and enlightening time for me. Just engaging on a much deeper level with people of other faith broadened my own horizons in many ways, clarified some of my own faith questions, and deepened my own faith. So I think of it as an integration, the way you've described it. It's Mm -hmm. really integrating diverse elements into something that we can, you can agree on. One of the books I brought was, um, is by Rob Bell, and he has this wonderful metaphor in a book called Velvet Elvis that he wrote. He is a Christian minister, but he describes faith as being like a trampoline instead of a wall. Many people use what they believe as a wall to separate them from other people to ensure their safety in some way. Hmm. But he sees faith as a trampoline that you jump on and you can see a lot further if you really look. You know, it gives you a whole different view on life. And I think that is a great metaphor. I just am taken with a lot of the things that he has written. So I want to dig into this idea of raising a child in a situation where they're by definition different. Mm -hmm. Because um, that's something I experienced. I grew up as the only Jewish kid in a majority non-Jewish town. And although sometimes I hated it growing up, I think that has given me a perspective that I wouldn't have had if I grew up around everyone who was like me. So I'm interested to hear what you both think about this idea of if you're the same, you never have perspective on being different. But if you're different, you always understand other people who are different. I couldn't agree more with that. I think that that's true for me. I wasn't of a different faith or different race than people, but I felt there were things that made me different. And I am I think that may be, a, for a lot of young people, there is a feeling that you don't fit in. It's very, it can be isolating mm-hmm. and alienating as mm-hmm. well. Um, so that's a very good point. I think in this situation, for newbie to the Jewish scene, this is a preschool. This is not a lifetime decision. This is a wonderful laboratory for them to figure out some things Very about how they may want to look for a school that's more racially diverse. They may want to look for a school that has something else the next time they're looking. So I think this is a great thing that they're doing to reach out in this way. Here's our last question. 
I'm a guy, so I'm not a mom myself. But my wife and I have been married for a few years, and we've been together for nearly 10. So the question about having kids has definitely come up. We go back and forth on this for various reasons. Not feeling financially stable, not wanting to give up our freedom, not knowing what will happen to the planet Earth. Okay, that one is a big one, but it is something we talk about. Anyway, I do really believe that when it comes down to it, we both actually would like to be parents, but we just aren't ready yet. We're in our early 30s now, and by the time we're ready to have kids, we could be in our late 30s or even maybe 40. With that age in mind, health concerns arise. I brought up adoption as an option, and I learned that my wife was not so into the idea. This surprised me, since I generally think of her as warm, generous, and empathetic. She said she'd like it in theory, but was worried that an adopted child would not really feel like our child. She also voiced worry about not knowing their background and how it would play out when they grow up. So I guess we're uncertain about having kids in general, but I think adoption is an important pathway to keep open in our case. Any ideas on how to take the conversation further and maybe open her up to the idea? Sincerely, adoption option. And now, here's some advice from my mom. Thanks so much for your question, adoption option. It's a good question and an important question. I always emphasize the importance of negotiating for couples. Do you feel that you have been able to start the negotiation process with your wife? You may have already learned that if you push, sometimes you can damage the relationship. Of course, we can't force another person to change. Even if you could convince her to see it your way, it might cause her resentment. I hope this has not turned into a power struggle between you. Those kinds of tug-of-wars really cause big stress. So I believe you must make a team decision, because no matter what else happens, if you have a child, your teamwork will be the most important skill you have. In my psychology practice, I once had a couple who had gone to a marriage seminar or workshop, and when they returned from that uh, workshop, they were so excited to tell me what they had learned, and one of them piped up with the notion that we learned that when you fight to win, you get to sleep with the loser. It seems to be such a good summary of what happens with couples. So if you agree with what I've said, um, here are some resources to help you move in that direction. The first is a workshop for couples called an Imago workshop. It's I-M-A-G-O. And the basic premise that this workshop is built on is that we have a certain image, the word image in Amago. We have a certain image of who our mate is, but that image is not always accurate. And when we have this image and we try to get our mate to live up to the image that we have of them, we sometimes end up making them feel like we're not good enough. We should change something to make ourselves more acceptable to our mate. 
So the imago notion, I think, is a very uh, pivotal one. I guess this whole question, I feel like I'm being really hard on him. Do you think? I don't agree. I think that you're being um, pretty clinical in terms of... Clinical. Yeah. That's, maybe that's what's I mean, wrong. that's yeah. what it sounds like. Mm-hmm. It, it, mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. he's expressing a lot of anxiety and, you know, questioning. Um, but that first, that first point about being together on a team, I really think is important. I think that's critical when it comes to starting a family. You have to be on the same page Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. uh, because you're parenting together and it's Mm -hmm. a together activity forever and affecting this life. Mm -hmm. It affects this child's life forever and it's never easy. So dear listeners, I'd like to introduce to you my wonderful friend, Lonnie Mustin. I'm Lonnie Mustin and I am a longtime friend of Mom B and have had the honor and the privilege to watch your host and your producer grow up into the host and producer dynamic woman through her young childhood into her adulthood, and I'm honored to be here. I am a a chiropractor by trade, but first and foremost, I've always said that I'm a mom of three, and I happen to be the mother of three beautiful adoption blessings. My husband and I lived this adoption option question. So for many reasons, once you're together um, for many years, it's inevitable. Are we going to share this love? Are we going to expand our joy in our family? Uh, Or are we just going to continue loving our life as it is? And um, so coming together on that, you can do that many different ways, whether it's in therapy, whether it's in, you know, seminars together, whether it's in doing projects together in a band or doing a business together. So once you're there, if you know together what you want to do and why you want to do it, there's always going to be a difference in your backgrounds and your parenting styles. But children don't need that much. They need love. So if you feel that you can start from a place of love, all of those material needs will be met. All of those those immediate needs for that child will be met. I'm not going to lie to you, adoption option, that your freedom will change. You don't give up your freedom becoming a parent, whether it's through adoption or, or biologically or by surprise. You don't give your, your freedom up by any means. It's a trade. And there's a lot of reasons to be anxious, but my goodness, um, I can tell you that what you gain and what you get back in return from sharing your love with that child is beyond words. It's beyond, the joy is beyond what people can tell you. Um, the challenges are there, but if you're doing it together and from a point of love, it's all great. It, it, it works out. So Stephen and I, my husband and I, we were also at that point, we were in our 30s deciding, are we going to be career people? You know, we were very responsible young adults, you know, starting our business, paying off our loans, purchasing a home. Um, and then inevitably it did come up. And we were one of those couples that we had infertility, we had um, other challenges. And it was really evident that it wasn't going to happen biologically for us. And coming from a huge family, I'm one of 56 
immediate cousins and him coming from a smaller family, one of two children with parents, one of two children. And uh, his, his family experience was different. So maybe his love of family or want for family wasn't as strong as mine was. Um, but we discussed it and we worked through it. Was he open to adoption? Like your wife, he had concerns. My, my husband was so stuck on having a biological child that for six years he insisted. And we went down that journey with a lot of heartbreak and a lot of um, talking and a lot of prayer on our part. So if your wife isn't into that idea, I am absolutely on board with Dr. Mom here, Mama B., not to force the issue, because that's your relationship and that's your love. You have to be on the same page. But I tell you that once we met other families, once we researched and, and reached out to the adoption community and had discussions, he considered. And he was still apprehensive. And in that process, when you decide to adopt, whether it's domestically or internationally, we happen to be international, which is a quite long process. So at any point when you're going through that process, there are plenty of times and opportunities to question and re-question and explore what your motivation is for doing this. And if you are capable as a couple and individually to see it through because it's every adoptive parent will tell you that it's a deliberate process. You want that child. It is um, a rigorous process from the paperwork to the home study to the research and soul exploring, basically. So adoption option, I tell you, your early young adults in time, as you're growing together as a couple, I encourage you, if you have it in your heart to become parents, not to be uh, afraid, not to be overly analytical, um, but to pursue that want to share your love if, the, if that's what the two of you decide. When we were uh, in China, my husband was still apprehensive. What are we getting ourselves into? Is this going to be my child? Well, she's not going to physically look like me. Um, but I'll tell you that the moment that she was put in his arms, the fact that the child was not a biological child, it melted away. And at this point, it's never stopped. You know, that becomes your child that becomes your family. And um, that has been our experience. That's been our, the experience of friends, probably 30 other families who um, have voiced that and, and we've discussed that and how it seems such a distant memory to think that it would never be our child. Hiya, Mama. Let's play Mother Daughter Pickleball. So... Mama, don't you have your own story of a little bit of a disagreement, a couple disagreement about whether you should have kids or not? 
although it is a very personal story and it's a very, I think, well, let me go ahead. Um, when I met Jerry, the, the night I met him, I was sure that I wanted to marry him. And um, it took him a long time to figure out that he wanted to marry me, but I was a very patient person. But a few months or maybe a year into our relationship, we talked about having children, and I had always been clear that I wanted children, but Jerry was not at all clear that he wanted more children and said so with, uh, with clarity. So I broke up with him. And I started to date uh, a man that I had met previously who was from a big family and wanted a whole bunch of kids. And that was how I, that tells me and tells you, I guess, that I was very serious about having kids. And uh, even though I was crazy about Jerry, I wasn't going to let that stop me from having children. Well, anyway, the good news is that Jerry came right back and said to, to the effect, well, let's negotiate it. <laughs> so he and I went into therapy to talk about whether or not we would have children. And um, I think the outcome has been wonderful. And, I tend uh, to agree wholeheartedly, <laughs> decidedly. What an excellent choice. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And she was an excellent therapist, too. And I was very lucky that Jerry really liked her and she guided us through. Um, happy, happy, honey. Happy Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day to you. Uh, happy daughters. Uh, anyway, did I do a good job? Do you want to add in that it was not a typical fertility process? Uh, that's up to you. If you if you want to talk about that, that's that's your deal. So you talk. <laughs> <laughs> you give your version. So, dear listeners, you won't meet many sperm donor babies older than me. Because it was pretty new at the time that my parents decided to have me through sperm donation. Um, and it was because, due to previous circumstances, Papa B was not able to be part of my biological creation. But I can tell you wholeheartedly, he is my dad. And I have no other dad in the world. Yes. I can't even speak. Because I that's, can't either. Yeah, that's lovely. Yeah. So from the perspective of someone who has been raised by someone who isn't biologically related to them, don't care about that at all. Love is love. Jerry's been the most wonderful darling dad ever. <laughs> He's, uh, that doesn't mean he didn't tease you. <laughs> he teased you a lot. He and... taught me how to tease, which is the most important <laughs> thing you can do for your child. <laughs> Teach them how to tease. <laughs> Lonnie, before before we send you on your way, yes, we would love to hear your thoughts on Mother's Day. My thoughts on Mother's Day. Oh boy, you know I I lost my mom just recently. Well, two years ago, she she was very sick. So this is um, uh, it's a bittersweet 
Mother's Day because being a mother, I'm so blessed. I, like I said, the, the joy that the kids bring me, even in the challenging times, I'm proud. And that's what I put myself forward as for first and foremost. I'm a mother. That's my most important job. And my mother was incredible. So I was honored to share those final years, difficult as they might have been, with her. And so it's a bittersweet Mother's Day. I'm, I'll miss her. But I wish all of the mothers and the potential mothers-to-be a very happy Mother's Day out there. And uh, just being able to witness your relationship with your mother. Happy Mother's Day to you, Dr. B. Thanks so, so much, Lonnie. You're such a dear sweetie. Yeah. I'm, and one of the things that we were talking about a little bit earlier today is the idea of mothering is quite universal. And I think, like, between the three of us, none of—well, there's only one mother-to-daughter ratio here, but I think we have also done a lot of mothering in our circle. Like, I mean, growing up and having you in my life as, like, this— cool older adult who wasn't as old as my parents but like <laughs> doing these cool things starting your own business was was its own source of motherly wisdom and thank you so much you're welcome you were Rebecca. really you've always been an inspiration to me so oh, thank you thank so much you, Lonnie Rebecca. thank you for being in my life you got Statement. a thumbs up from dad <laughs> oh thank you Jerry <laughs> thank you so much <laughs> oh my goodness On the next episode of Advice for Mom, we explore creative pursuits. We've been hearing from a bunch of you about your creative projects, your creative professions, and your creative questions. So we'll be wrangling not only motherly advice, but also an eclectic collection of eccentric creatives who've got some wise words to share. So send in your questions at advicefrom.mom. A big thank you to the moms that appeared on this episode, Dr. Diana Plouffe, Reverend Mary Lynn Grass, and Dr. Lonnie Mustin. And also a big thanks to my childhood friend, Chrissy Miller, now Danberg and now also a mom, who came into the studio and personally surprised my mom with her presence. And happy Mother's Day to all the moms we love. And by hashtag moms we love, we mean all the women that inspire us with their strength and grace. You don't necessarily have to have children to mother a mentally healthier world. Advice for Mom is a production of Wise Ones Advice Services. This episode was produced by Juliet Heinley and me, Rebecca Garza-Bortman. Editing and mixing by Juliet Heinley. Publicity by Jane Riccobono. Hashtag moms we love. Guest ushering services provided by Jerome Bortman. Long distance technical and emotional support provided by Brian Garza. On-site emotional support provided by best friend Aviva Rubin. Happy birthday! Sound engineering by Helen Wigger. This episode was recorded at WESA Pittsburgh. Can we clap? You can clap. Bravo. 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 Well done. <laughs> That's the sound of my mom wanting a sweet treat. <laughs> or even some nuts. <laughs>